are listening to another episode of the Coach's Circle Podcast, brought to you by LifeCoachPath.com. Our goal is to explore all the different ways you can craft your own career in the fields of coaching, wellness, and mental health. Each episode features guests who offer an authentic perspective on their own unique career path and explores ways you might begin to craft your own. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit www.lifecoachpath.com. And now, here's your host, Brandon Baker. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Coaches Circle podcast. Today's special guest is Karen Carlucci. She is a licensed psychotherapist and certified professional coach based in my home, New York City. Hey, Karen, welcome to the show. Hi, Brandon. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, I, I like to, well, first of all, I, I think it's cool that we have someone local to the show, New York City. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've interviewed therapists and coaches all across the country. Um, and uh, actually, that was quite intentional, getting a, a wide breadth of perspectives. Definitely want mm-hmm. to get that New York perspective in there as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, so let's let's just start off with some background as to your work and um, the kinds of clients that you see every day. Sure. Uh, well, the foundation of my professional background is really built on my social work degree. So I am um, a clinical social worker for many years now, good 20-something years at this point. <laughs> and I did go to uh, a New York... NYU for that degree. And I knew early on that I wanted to be a therapist, but there was a lot of things about social work in particular that attracted me, Um, the nature of working within groups and understanding people within the systems that they live and family dynamics and communities and organizations and all of what happens there. And I think early on, I did get a window into coaching as well. So I I think I, from the beginning, had this interest in both areas. But I went through my social work career pretty traditionally at first, and then I explored some very non-traditional pathways in which I could apply those skills. Uh, And then I eventually found my way more into private practice work. And that is what I focus on currently. I do work with private clients and with adults in particular, individual adults. And I am the person that is available for those who are suddenly facing an unexpected life event, uh, something that really raises um, emotional distress and might bring up mental health challenges because of the coping that that is being called for um, and what the the situation has um, unsettled in someone's life and then considering all areas of their life in that way. And then um, I eventually really wanted to be available in another way to people in the professional uh, sense of their their work life. Um, So as a coach, I separately support professionals who are trying to get excited about their work again. I like to call it professional rediscovery. So um, that is a snapshot of what I'm excited about doing these days. Perfect. All right. So the the very first thing you touched upon, I'm not sure how 
this podcast hasn't yet even touched on this topic, but I wanted to ask you because you brought it up um, quite specifically. You mentioned that you gravitated towards social work and you kind of contrasted it to, I guess, counseling, like um, more, mm. right? Like, is there, um, So I guess I wanted to ask you what, how do you, I guess, distinguish, you know, the difference between what a social worker does and what a counselor does? And, and what is it about social work that that drew you to it? Mm-hmm. Well, the beautiful thing about social work, what drew me to it originally, it was in college. I actually was a human resources major way back. And then <laughs> I stumbled upon social work. And it was the group dynamics and understanding people within the social context that really pulled me in and the fact that you can do so many things with it. And then um, how it it also uh, digs deep into understanding mental health and mental illness and emotional um, responses to things that happen to us. So that applies really, when you think about it, to to anything that we're all doing at some point in our life. Um, We all have relationships and social work's all about interpersonal dynamics and understanding that. Um, And the therapeutic relationship is key in helping to heal a lot of the things that might have been damaged throughout our young lives and really recognizing what it is that we need in each of those different relationships personally and professionally. And so I think that um, social work pulled me in because of the multifaceted nature of it and understanding ourselves uh, and within these other contexts that we're connected to because we're not isolated. Everything I see it as being um, interdependent. And um, and then as a therapist, I mean, that's being a therapist is, is one path that you can follow as a social worker. It's not the only path, but mm-hmm. I did know that that was in my sights. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. And you, you kind of touched upon the, um, I guess, the kinds of issues that your clients come to you facing. Um, you mentioned, you know, transition obviously is, is a big one. Uh, it seems to me, though, that you are pretty um, pretty balanced in terms of the different types of niches that you occupy. Um, it's not like you're, you have a practice that just focuses on one particular challenge, like um, trauma mm-hmm. or, you know, um, you know, career transitions. Or, you know, we've had a lot of those more specialists on the show. So I wanted to ask you, did you face pressure in the beginning of your career to niche down? And um, how, what's kind of been your thought process behind keeping a, a, a wider scope of the kinds mm-hmm. of clients that you see? Yeah, that's a really good question. So early on in my career, I don't believe that I experienced the pressure or, or the encouragement maybe to really get a specific you know, niche established. If anything, it was more of the opposite early on. It was really like sample everything. Mm. You know, it's it's get exposed to all the different pieces that you could be part of in making a difference in people's lives and and then see where you're called. Um, And to me, that's an ongoing journey, honestly. Um, But I do, I'm very aware that more and more it is um, something that that is suggested toward, and and especially if you're being mentored or coached in a particular way with your professional goals, is to get more targeted, get more specific. And the more specific you are in who you would like to attract, the more likely you will attract those ideal clients and be able to do the work that you are dedicated to doing. So in my case, um, you know, yes, I I don't have an ultra-specific niche, but 
I think it's something that all people can relate to. And that is when things get turned upside down. And for me, it was more personally guided because of my own personal experience in having um, you know, a very unexpected life-changing event occur for me uh, as an adult, but as a relatively young adult. And so because of that life interruption, that's when I actually got uh, more specific about wanting to help other adults uh, who were suddenly spun in a circle. And and so that's just how it happened to go for me. It is unique for each person. Mm. Okay, perfect. Yeah, it is just something we talk about on the show um, on a lot of episodes, this whole concept of, of, you know, finding that niche and trying to get more and more specific. Um, and I just find it interesting how different therapists, um, you know, even coaches as well, they find a way to build their practice with, you know, vastly different degrees of, you know, specificity, like, you know, how, <laughs> how narrow is your scope? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so anybody that's just looking to start off their practice, again, whether it's in therapy or coaching, um, in case you've gotten the the idea that you have to niche down hyper focus, you really don't. Um, it's mm. it's not it's not absolutely necessary. And I the reason why I asked you if you have felt pressure is because other therapists on the show have have shared that they did feel a lot of pressure in that beginning stage to, okay, maybe you can start off as a generalist because you don't quite know your brand yet, but eventually you're going to want to niche down. And the faster you can do that, the better, right? So that's kind of the, the, um, mm. you know, influence that a lot of therapists have shared that they had when they were in that beginning stage. Um, and it's interesting how you mentioned you <laughs> mm -hmm. had it a bit opposite, you know, keeping a broad spectrum. I haven't heard that one yet. Okay. Yeah, I guess, you know, coming from the, my early days of education in the field, it was more like sample everything, see, you know, be the generalist and then allow your, you to, to see where you're being called more specifically, but don't think that that's all there is for you. Um, it really is, I think, a living and breathing experience for mm -hmm. us um, in this type of profession, but it, it depends. I, I do think that more and more we're hearing about, about uh, the entrepreneurial side of what we can do in this field of social services, human services, psychology, social work, coaching, all of that good stuff. And that that does make more sense because there's a, a, a wave of, of more uh, business building. Okay. It's not just about our clinical skills or our program mm, management skills mm -hmm. or our supervision skills, right? It's, it's another um, exciting, I think, channel to to build your career and to follow it's, but it does, I think, call for some other considerations. And I think that's where I'm hearing. And I don't know if it's fair to call it pressure. It's definitely encouragement and recommendation and suggestion that, Hey, here's how, here are the keys. Here are the, the one, two, threes of what you should follow. If you want to build your private practice, I think right. that's where I hear about it most. Right. Okay. Yeah, perfect. Thanks for sharing that perspective. Um, it's always amazing to me how different everybody's experience is. Um, mm -hmm. I'm glad to hear that you didn't feel that that pressure because um, it seems uh, inappropriate, really, for for somebody who is just starting out and they're trying to kind of find their way. Um, yeah. yeah, so I wanted to also get into a bit more about the specific work you're doing with clients. And, um, you know, you mentioned on your website that you draw from uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, motivational interviewing. You know, I think listeners on the show by now are quite familiar with with these uh, kind of ideologies, these methods and techniques. 
Um, but I wanted to also touch upon something else you mentioned when you were describing your work. And it said that you also incorporate Buddhist concepts and philosophy in your work. And this mm -hmm. is something that you don't see every therapist doing. Um, mm -hmm. It's actually often seen a lot more in, in coaches, in my experience, at least. So mm -hmm. uh, I guess, yeah, how do you incorporate those ideas with your clients? And do you find your clients to be um, maybe receptive to them? And, and how, I guess, does it help them get past those challenges that they're facing? Yeah, that's a good point. I I don't necessarily draw special oh there's my my pet if you can hear him welcome um, to the show yeah <laughs> yeah yeah he's my audience um well i i don't draw special attention to the buddhist focus however i think it it's just a philosophy that seems to make a lot of sense to me and it does come through in my practice and i think most clients appreciate this and what that really boils down to for me is about detachment from expectations, detachment from control, mm. detachment from this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And if I don't, then what am I? Who am I? Then do I, do I end up failing? Am I then unworthy? And the, that type of self-narrative is what causes so much suffering Absolutely uh, for so many people. You. Yeah. So, so I just kind of, in, I think a lot of therapeutic work is like this, whether you're calling it um, a Buddhist philosophy or not, really is about, well, how can we untangle some of that for you where you're not feeling like that you can only follow one set of rules? And, and actually, the more open we are, the more flexible, the more, the more accepting we are of what we cannot control and accept the, what something is and be okay with it. Um, easier said than done, I think, in our culture, especially mm -hmm. on the East Coast, maybe even more so. <laughs> yeah. um, it's it's not easy, but I think that that's an exercise that can release some of that pressure and discomfort and unnecessary suffering. There's plenty of suffering that's going to find us perhaps throughout our lives that it just is really not much we can do with it. We have to we have to sit with it and and be with it. Um, but there's other things that we can we can adjust in just how we view it. And I'm actually, I just had this very similar conversation with a friend recently about what's been going on with people during this experience of COVID and being, um, trying to, to just make sense of, of all of the things that, that have changed uh, out of nowhere for so many of us in, in our work lives and our personal lives and our home lives. And it, it's so much about letting go of what we, assumed was the only way to do things and now if we can if we can sort of open our minds to okay there must be some other way then that i could make this work and let me be open to what that is and perhaps i'll learn something new that attitude can take us a lot farther yeah um i mean i couldn't you're, you're really speaking my language here i could not agree with you more um, I always kind of reference the, it's kind of a trite phrase at this point, but I think it holds a lot of wisdom, which is, you know, people say comparison is the thief of joy. And mm -hmm. I think really more accurately, it's expectation is um, equally a thief of joy because they're, that's kind of what I find a lot of these philosophies, a lot of these 
um, outlooks on on mental health in general really boil down to reducing that expectation, reducing that sense of, you know, I think entitlement is kind of too strong of a word and has and has connotations that go beyond what we're talking about. But in a mm-hmm. way, it kind of in a way, it's kind of a soft entitlement where you just kind of expect things to always kind of go your way. And mm-hmm. um, and I think I think as as hard as it is to to resist that temptation to think that way once you're able to even start going down that path of letting that go um i think you start to see a lot of a lot of difference and you know you you talked about uh, flexibility we had another guest on the show whose entire philosophy entire brand was based on psychological flexibility and i'm talking about like capital p capital f like it was a, it was its own study um sure. yeah and so we talk about positive psychology on the show which a lot of what goes into positive yeah. psychology has to do with with these topics and um you know buddhist philosophy is obviously um you know kind of the the origin in, in a lot of ways mm-hmm. of this way of thinking so yeah i mean that, that's that's another kind of interesting thing that i've realized on the show is that all these different at least different in name approaches sometimes share very very similar roots and i think this is one of those kind of roots one of the the real pillars of of mental health is trying to tone down this this sense of expectation and yeah and you're right east coast and if i can even add new york city uh is kind of the <laughs> the the ground zero for a uh, high expectation but yeah mm-hmm. uh, it does more harm and, than and good it, you know it's and it's interesting because it might seem that it's a contradiction to like the high achieving individual, like, well, wait a second, what do you, how can I not have expectations or, or, and that's not what we're saying, right? Obviously we want to have goals and, right, right. and improve, you know, work toward improvement and achievement. Um, it's, it's just releasing from what we expect of ourselves in order to satisfy um, external you know, requirements in, in life. When, when you, when you peel that back and you get to what's important to you inside, what are your values? And mm-hmm. this is, this, I mean, coaching is built on value. So now just to kind of, you know, shift on to that pathway, um, then it's really doing a lot of values work. So let's get, let's really do like a, a reevaluation of what matters to you personally at this point in your life, because you are not your parents, you are not your boss, you are not your spouse or partner. Um, You are you. And not only that, but you are you today, which is different than you 10 years ago, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So has something changed that is now bringing something more to the forefront that deserves attention? Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, That was a, a good summary. I'm glad you actually added that that clarification as well. We're definitely not suggesting people to kind of, uh, you know, sit <laughs> sit in in isolation and relinquish all earthly desires. You know, that's that's kind of. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could do that if you want, but mm-hmm. yeah. um, but that's not kind of the the world we're at. We're 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 suggesting that people live in. It's just maybe toning down a little bit of this, um, you know, kind of expectation of everything going a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and you you brought up coaching, and I'm I'm glad you did because that's obviously a central focus of the show. So, um, seeing as how you are both a psychotherapist and a certified coach, I wanted to ask you what you saw as the what you see as the key difference between these two approaches and how you um, work with clients 
with these two approaches, whether do you try to keep it separate, do you combine them? So how do you manage mm -hmm. that in your own practice? Yeah, that's an important question. And, and it does vary person to person, professional to professional, and very much state to state. So it, you know, it is something to consider where you're, if you are a licensed practitioner, uh, you want to consider, well, what state are you licensed? Because that might have some, uh, some guidelines for you to be following if you want to introduce another branch to your type of work and your practice. So uh, that's important. And, and my journey is my own. Um, but the way it's kind of worked for me thus far anyway, is I'm primarily a, a therapist. That's really, you know, I'm, I'm a clinical person at heart. And I really like the one-to-one -one work or really the, the group facilitation as well um, in that in that sense of supporting people through difficult times. And when you're, you know, the therapy part is very much about mental health, considering any mental health impact. Um, I don't get caught up in formal diagnosis and all of that. You know, obviously that's relevant if, if necessary, uh, but it's really about how is someone's mental health being impacted, their level of emotional uh, stress, and what do they do for coping with that? Um, and then when you are focused on that as a therapist, oftentimes you do need to visit the past in order to understand how you got to this way of responding and, you know, your trigger points and your coping skills that you've learned, whether they are healthy or not so healthy. Um, so we do dip into the past and we want to understand what shaped you. And that goes back to a lot of relationship stuff as well. You know, the earliest of relationships with caregivers, et cetera. Um, and, and then of course we consider cultural background and what that may also uh, be shaping in who, who someone is and how they understand things and how they view the world, where they grew up, all that good stuff. Um, so there's a lot of, of understanding the psychology of that individual. Now, I also happen to have some training in psychoanalysis. So when you have psychoanalytic training, I believe you have a huge advantage. Even if you're not doing old-fashioned Freudian psychoanalysis, having mm -hmm. seeing someone on the couch three times a week. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> but just having the understanding of what you're listening to, you then have like a third ear. It, it's it's very, I think, I think it's a, just such a, a cr critical skill in listening to what's not just being said, but what what's underneath it that's, uncon you know, more of the unconscious communication. Um, so that is telling and that's useful in how you might then respond and what you can eventually in, in a very comfortable way bring to the client's attention that they never really even noticed. Um, so that is more of the therapeutic work. So coaching is we're assuming that the person's coming toward and, you know, attracted to coaching because they're not so much about um, really Re revisiting the past and and coping with a, an incident that recently might have been difficult or upsetting, whether it's a loss of any kind or uh, just struggling with day to day things that have been going on currently, for instance, with with our living with uh, the coronavirus mm -hmm. and all of that. Um, clearly, that's had an impact on on how people are feeling about life, right? right. Um, so so coaching is really kind of like let's let's just identify where you want to be. So it's not so much about understanding what happened and what's going on right now. It's like, okay, well, wh where is it that you want to be? What's your vision? What, what matters to you right now in terms of the value assessment? And 
what is it that you want to be different? Um, and then once we have that clear, then we get more concrete in action steps, identifying what those action steps are and how are you going to do them? What do you need to do those things? How can I support you? Where else can you go for support? And how will you then be held accountable for that? Because coaching is about the doing, not just the understanding. So that's one of the main um, distinctions. And also with coaching, it's you're not, um, you know, addressing mental health issues. And so if someone it doesn't mean someone doesn't have mental health stuff, and that's totally um, natural. And it's just to be clear that they would then have a separate therapist. Right. So and sorry it can to, seem, yeah, yeah, I, I just wanted to uh, quickly ask right there before I forget, um, if you mm-hmm. do notice that a client does, you know, is facing some mental health issues, would you at that point, um, do you think that client needs to go into a therapy arrangement and coaching simultaneously, or is it one first and then the other? It really depends, I think, on on what seems to be most necessary. Um, so it, there's not there's as long as the person can can juggle it and it's realistic and practical for them to commit to both things. There's nothing wrong with being in therapy and coaching simultaneously with two different professionals. Okay. Um, that that can actually work really well. However, that it might not be the time for both. And if so, if there is enough of a mental health, um, you know, if there are certain mental health symptoms that are presenting themselves that are not yet managed, then that would become the priority Got over it. the coaching. Got yeah. It. Okay. Yeah. I think, um, I think it's pretty clear that it would depend from client to client. And as a, as a professional, obviously it's, it's on you to make that, um, determination if there are any mental health issues that would be interfering with any potential coaching work because Mm -hmm. if that is the case then obviously um, the client wouldn't even be ready for the coaching in the first place um yeah so that that makes a lot of sense okay um yeah Mm -hmm. i I think you made a really nice distinction between you know uh, therapy is kind of how did we get to today and coaching is kind of how do we get to tomorrow, right? How do we yeah. work on... So it's that's kind of like um, overly simplistic, perhaps, but I think a easy way to understand the difference between the two. I also like to mention sometimes that in therapy, a lot of the transformation happens inside the session, and in coaching, a lot of the transformation happens outside the session. Oh, um, that's another good point. Yes, yeah. because um, in it, it's true. It's really about the session with therapy. That's where we're focused. And and maintaining boundaries um, is very relevant to therapeutic relationships. And then the coaching relationship, it's definitely like a partnership, a collaboration. Not that of course I still see my therapy relationships as also very collaborative, of course. Um, but the coaching, there's there's definitely more um, the, what you might call homework in between mm-hmm. those sessions. That's really up to that client. To, to say, yeah, this is what I'm going to do between now and our next session. And then if you don't, then, then definitely have those reasons why, what got in the way, and then let's go from there. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, that was, that was a really good um, summation. So I want to end the show with a question that I like to ask pretty much every guest that comes on. I think um, sometimes the answers can be quite interesting. So what have mm-hmm. you found to be 
the most challenging aspect of your work um you know from it could be anything related to the business side maybe transitioning from employee to entrepreneur it could be on the client side personally probably uh is another big one uh, for a lot of therapists too a personal struggle so what have you found to be um the most challenging aspect of your work thus far and how have you worked to overcome that yeah i i think that private practice especially as a solo practitioner whether you are therapist coach or a little bit of both um that can be isolating and a bit lonely and i definitely am someone who loves to be part of a team and work collaboratively and and have those working relationships uh, that you look forward to and i i think that it, that took some adjusting but but it's a choice of when you decide to go in that direction. Um, so if you're definitely leaning in that direction, then there's probably something about not just the work, but about the style of work that suits you. So I, I think I, I, and this isn't the only thing I've encountered, but the way that you're you know, the timing of you asking me, I think it's something I've, I've noted that I, I very much love how I am able to do my work independently. I do miss um, the camaraderie of coworkers because I'm not mm -hmm. part of, and of course I could, I could make some changes. I do part-time work, for instance, at Columbia school of social work. So I have that experience in, in working with, with uh, colleagues in the academic space and with students. And I love doing that kind of thing with graduate students. Um, so that satisfies a piece of that. So that's an example of how I, I balance it out. So I'm not just floating out in the universe, just me. Because if you're in an office all <laughs> yeah. day by yourself and it's only you and then your clients, you definitely want to look out for having peers that you can um, enjoy being around as well. Absolutely. And I think especially um, as a therapist who you know sits with their clients, so to speak, um, and with their issues and their, that, that, can, that can be very weighty for a therapist, yeah. you know, day after day. Um, obviously, you you value the work, and you're you're happy when the client is seeing some kind of change, positive change. But still, I mean, it is a lot of weight to take on um, every single day when when these are the challenges being kind of expressed to you. So, absolutely, mm -hmm. I think having that that social element for somebody who um, knows that that's part of what drives them, right? I think mm -hmm. I think in that beginning stage of of setting up your practice you might want to consider uh, doing things like group sessions or offering right. retreats where you're you're going out right, into the world, as it were. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you have yeah. to kind of think ahead if you know that these are the kinds of things that, that drive you so that you don't end up in a situation where, you know, you, you look at the past six months and you're pretty much just in your office, right? Um, and you haven't yeah. left, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's not just in your office right now. It's also the telehealth thing. If you're mm -hmm. doing teletherapy, it's the same thing. And you do need to self-assess what works for you and what doesn't. And a coach actually is someone that can help with that because that's the coaches, <laughs> you know, we're, we're sorting out like what works for you right yeah, now, what, what yeah. are you needing. And so I think knowing that's important and then really considering your self-care. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Yeah. Karen, that was all really, really great information. And I, I thank you so much for, for spending time with us. Um, thank you, Brandon. Yeah, I, I want to give you a chance to give our audience um, an idea of where they can find you online and where they can find more about your work. 
Oh, absolutely. So my website is just my name. It's KarenCarlucci.com. And you can also look for me on LinkedIn. Okay, perfect. Yeah. There it is. Uh, thank you again. I, I wish you the best of luck in your practice. And I really appreciate your time again. Thank you so much, Brandon. It's great to talk with you. Okay. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Coaches Circle Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to our show just as much as we enjoyed making it. If you'd like to check out a complete listing of all of the episodes on our show, head on over to lifecoachpath.com slash podcast. See you on the next one.